0: Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldin and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. In the last couple of months, countries around the world have been facing their own battles with coronavirus. We've seen the pandemic topple some of the most advanced healthcare systems in the world. In countries with social safety nets, and where most people have access to shelter and food. Italy has reported the highest one day death toll from coronavirus than any other country. Officials said nearly 500 people died. We are now
1: having 40 plus thousand new cases a day. I would not be surprised if we go up to 100,000 a day if this does not turn around. There is
0: seriously no healthcare service that could cope with what Italy have just gone through, or indeed Wuhan and China. But what is it like in places with fragile health systems, few social protections and a heavy-handed approach to implementing lockdown?
1: There have been incidents, many people even that I've met, being beaten up, being hit, being slapped, being kicked, being caned. Um, one woman that I met, she, she was burned when a security officer kicked a pot of boiling oil over her um, because she was cooking chips and it was right before the curfew.
0: Sally Hayden writes for the Irish Times from Africa. She has been documenting how people in the developing world have been affected by the pandemic.
1: I was actually in Rwanda and rumours started coming in, even though there were no cases at all in Uganda, rumours started coming in that they were going to close the borders because basically the best way to avoid coronavirus is to stop it from getting in at all.
0: With news of the impending lockdown, Sally packed up her car and drove over the border into Uganda.
1: We just didn't know what would happen and people started panicking of course. And then came the news that um, they were closing the borders that I think it ended up being on the 21st, 22nd of March. And that was when they also got their first case. Confirmed case had traveled to Dubai on the 17th of
0: March, 2020 for business purposes. At the time of his travel, he was in good health. Arriving in Gulu, a city in the northern region of the country, Sally settled into lockdown for what was originally planned to be just one month. Over three months later, she is still there.
1: Gulu is a city of roughly 200,000 people. And before this, I actually, I would have described it more as a party city. Like there's a lot of musicians, a lot of live music. People like going out. But it's also known for having gone through decades of war. So if you've heard of the Lord's Resistance Army, um, led by Joseph Coney, who became well known in the West from that Invisible Children um, Coney 2012 video. My brother tried to escape and they killed using panga. They cut his neck. Did you see it? I saw. That war went on here for decades. Um, tens of thousands of children were kidnapped. Hundreds of thousands of people killed. And so it ended more than a decade ago. But yeah, there's still a lot of vulnerable people and the region is still quite poor as a result of that.
0: Sally, as you say, the borders closed in mid-March. What have the conditions of lockdown been like since?
1: So initially it was pretty much the same as everywhere. Like Schools were closed, mass gatherings closed. There was a ban on people going to church, to mosque. And I think kind of more uniquely, they had a total transport ban. So we had a ban on private and public transport. And that had some negative uh ramifications as well in that there wasn't a provision for emergency health care so people did die initially as a result of not being able to get to hospital either sick children or pregnant women as well but now things have eased a bit the shops and things like businesses that were deemed unessential have been allowed to open again a lot of them so people are going back to work and some of the transport has started up again with social distancing measures in place but We still have a very low number of cases. So I think the, you know, what they were trying to do was just keep it out completely. But now it's definitely here, but there aren't that many cases.
0: In Uganda, there have been around 800 cases so far and no deaths. That does seem like a small number. What kind of testing is going on and what's the belief amongst people about how prevalent it is?
1: So there are between 1,000 and 3,000 tests happening a day as far as i know and most of those or a lot of those are truck drivers at the border so the only people still allowed to enter uganda are truck drivers um carrying cargo and they all get tested at the border so uganda's figure like you said like the number of cases is low but the surrounding countries it's been going up quite quickly like tanzania south sudan kenya and so that's really where the cases have been coming from there's it believed to be like a small amount of community transmission but not a lot and I think there are two towns that have been identified as hotspots having said that the president made a speech this week where he said that all areas where there are deemed to be a lot of cases will be locked down and one of those is Gulu where I am so since yesterday no one can leave or come in
0: And despite the fact that there have been no deaths from the virus itself, there have been other deaths and accusations of police brutality, with at least seven people said to have been killed by authorities during lockdown.
1: Yeah, and another person was killed this week, actually. So so there's a curfew between 7pm, 7am, and both the military and the police go out to enforce that. And they're pretty much well known for at least some of them like inflicting brutality on people when they're enforcing those rules. There have been incidents, both, both of people being killed, but also like many people even that I've met being beaten up, being hit, being slapped, being kicked, being caned. Um, one woman that I met, she ha- she was burned when a security officer kicked a pot of boiling oil over her. Um, because she was cooking chips and it was right before the curfew. So, yeah, there's been a lot of suffering through that.
0: Back in April, President Museveni ordered a stop to the violence after images of tortured women were circulated online. And these pictures showed the women covered in mud, bandaged and bruised with injuries they sustained for violating the curfew by one hour. Has this order by Museveni helped put a stop to the violence?
1: I would say no, because I went out with the police and the military right after. um, And even while I was there and I was with the public relations head, they basically were just driving around looking for people who were still out on the streets. So running after them, scaring them, threatening to cane them. And then right at the end, uh, one of the soldiers did kick a guy in the head. And at that point, I think the public relations person was like, oh, it's time to drop you home, Sally. So... That was like, like you said, the day after the president said that nobody should be, should be beaten, and so for me, I mean, to see it in person was still really awful. I think it's worth saying as well. There have been allegations that the security forces are using this time to, um, to extort people. So they see it as an opportunity. It's alleged to basically force people to give them money or you know make a profit and even me like when I when I passed a checkpoint when um the full lockdown was on and I I was classed as an essential worker so I could still drive but at checkpoints like police would always ask me for money and I believe they're quite badly paid so um you know even they'd be like we're hungry we've been here all day please just give us something it's a bit of a complex situation because you know, it doesn't justify anything that they're doing, but I guess they're also maybe being mistreated.
0: Like many countries, Uganda has had to make some tough decisions in a bid to keep the virus out and the numbers down. Who are the people at the centre of the nation's response to the pandemic, Sally?
1: So the way it works is that there's a national task force that's made up of some members of the government and others, and then each area has its own task force. And that's led by the president's representative in the area, but then there's also different people on it, like aid workers, like medics, like representatives of hospitals, pretty much anyone who's interested seems to be able to join the task force. And I was attending a lot of their meetings as well. And the idea is that people can go, they can say how they can help, they can make suggestions. Um, Having said that, the meetings went on for, you know, up to five, six hours um, and it became a bit unwieldy. And so now they've closed it down a bit more.
0: And of course, despite its success in containing the virus, it has had a knock on effect, mainly on the availability of food. In one of your pieces, Sally, you wrote of a family who are boiling leaves to feed themselves with. Has the lockdown brought on a hunger pandemic in Uganda?
1: A lot of people in Uganda live hand-to-mouth, they work in the day, they try and earn enough money to buy food that night to feed their families, and very, very quickly people started suffering, so pretty much right after the lockdown, even people that I know well were messaging me like, I don't have any food, what am I supposed to do? And like I said, the travel ban came into force, and that was with one hour notice, so a lot of people here as well their families would live in villages where they do farming and then they go up to the city to work and so they didn't have the chance to return to the villages where there'll be food growing so they got trapped in a city where they're not able to work anymore and so that was really a massive problem as as happens in uganda definitely um you know the political kind of mixes with the the policy and the there are elections scheduled for january um 2021 and the president said that no opposition politicians are allowed to distribute food because they could be gathering crowds so they could be arrested on attempted murder but critics say that he's trying to stop people from campaigning or garnering goodwill and that's actually extended to pretty much everybody else so food distributions right now are illegal unless you go through the government
0: Sally, you've been out speaking with locals in Gulu throughout this time, from street children to those who have lost their income overnight. What sense are you getting from the people there about how they're surviving day to day under these circumstances?
1: I mean, some people will always be OK because they have the capacity to transition. So, like, for example, people who were selling cooking utensils before coronavirus are now selling um, you know, water dispensers or soap or different goods that are more relevant, that cl- are classed as essential. Um, even children, I've seen them out selling masks. One boy I met, his mother is a tailor, so she can't work, but she's instead making masks and sending her son out to sell them on the street. You
0: see, for me, my father left me when I was 11 years old, and I'm remaining with my mother. Almost, all the money I'm taking to her for food,
1: the people who are struggling are like the elderly, um, people with HIV, because you need to eat regularly to be able to take your ARVs, your medication, um, orphans, you know, people who are disabled, there are a lot of disabled people in Gulu because of the war, like there are a lot of injuries, um, people with mental health problems, basically everybody who is vulnerable before, they're now much more vulnerable. Museveni
0: has been president since 1986, but there is an election coming up next year. What effect is this having on his actions and on the country as a whole?
1: I think that's the big question now because we're moving into the phase where people are starting to question like how much of this is due to coronavirus and how much is due to the upcoming election. So Museveni has said that he's banning campaign rallies, which seems to make sense because it means that crowds can't gather but it also means that the only way to campaign is through the media which is what he's saying so either radio tv or social media most people here have radios and most of the stations are owned by the ruling party so that gives him a clear advantage he also brought in a social media tax um a few years ago which i also wrote about for the irish times at the time and that means that a lot of people now can't afford social media because every day you have to pay a tax to access it and so again if they can't access it that gives him an advantage
0: Museveni does not give a damn about you Ugandans people want a real election okay if Museveni cared for the people of Uganda they would have food
1: he has two main competitors one of them is Bobby Wine, so he's a pop star essentially about half my seventies age and he's very very popular um, and he actually wrote a coronavirus song the
0: bad news is that everyone is a potential victim but the good news is that everyone is a potential
1: solution the way that he campaigns is by going around the country meeting people and he's now said that he's not going to respect this order not campaign
0: do you think he has a realistic prospect in the election
1: no, I mean I don't. I haven't met anyone who, apart from him, who I have met. Um, he says he's gonna win, but I haven't met anyone else who thinks he will. And that's not because he's not popular. It's more to do with the way, like I said, the way that everything is controlled, and people are worried about vote rigging. People are worried about pressure being put on um, people to vote for the NRM, the ruling party, and just how things are going to develop. And and we also don't, we don't even know, will he be able to be on the ballot. I mean, a lot of legal um, cases have been taken out against him. He's been arrested multiple times. He's pretty much always getting in trouble. And so we don't know if he'll even make it to, to January.
0: Sally, how do you think the effects of coronavirus will live on beyond the pandemic in Uganda?
1: I think just in poverty, like it's really, really, really going to affect people here who had very low amounts of capital anyway and have been saving. This has just wiped out all their savings. I'm talking to people who are who have borrowed money, they're in debt. And then the big problem here as well is school fees, like going to school is expensive it's like theoretically meant to be free I think just primary school but actually there are a lot of associated costs that people can't afford anyway and now 15 million school children have been sent home the schools are still closed we don't know when they'll open and by the time they open I would anticipate that a lot of those children won't be able to return because their parents will no longer be able to afford to send them and so the president, again, he's been making all these promises that don't get seen through. And one of them was that he's going to give a radio to every family so that they can have an education at home. They can broadcast educational messages. He also said that everybody in the country over the age of six would have a mask by the start of uh, June, I think it was. And that hasn't happened, you know. And then there was an idea that there would be two televisions for every village and that hasn't happened. So... Um, so yeah, all these kids are going without an education. For me, I, I think that's going to be the worst and it could impact them for the rest of their lives. I, I feel I'm tired of staying home. I, feel I want to go to school and I start
0: playing with my friends and I, and I talk to my teachers. You've spent most of your time traveling around the various countries in Africa. Did you plan to spend this long in Gulu or in Uganda, indeed?
1: No, um, no, I hadn't. But yeah, I got trapped here by the lockdown like everybody else. But it's not a terrible place to be. I mean, I know there are so many problems, of course, um, but like, people are lovely here. It's it's a country that people here have put up with a lot, like they've been through a lot already. And so I guess this is just another thing. And so I know it's hard to convey it in reports, but like there's been a lot of humour throughout this crisis. The borders are closed indefinitely. I have no idea when I can leave. Like now I'm wondering whether they'll be closed until the election, which is January.
0: So a bit longer than you had planned to stay.
1: Yeah, I was meant to be back for a wedding actually in May. But, yeah, the wedding's also been moved, so.
0: Sally, thanks very much. My thanks to Suzanne Brennan, who produced today's podcast. And thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back next week.